0: Every day CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com/equip.
1: Hey, just a quick heads up before we start the show today. My guest is Show Baraka, a brilliant rapper and activist who's made the news a few times in the last year for being outspoken about politics in general, Donald Trump in particular. And he made the news because of a controversy around a word on one of his records. Now, it's a PG word. It's one you'd hear in your seventh grade health class. But since it caused a stir, I thought I'd warn you up front in case you're listening with your kids. So, you've been warned. Don't at me. Don't at show either. Okay, here we go
2: get up and do my thing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I want to get into it, man, you know. Uh-huh. Like, I, you know I'm the man, don't you? Uh-huh. Can I count it off? Uh-huh. One, two, three, four... I'm grooving for the activists and graduates I'm an advocate for those feeling abandonment In the favelas and slums, together ghetto inhabitants It's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Say, the only thing good came out of Nazareth This is the groove, tell me, can yeah. you handle <laughs> it? I'm schooled in the ways of runaway slaves I'm brave, I'm unchained, I'm Frederick Douglass with a fade oh, yeah. I kidnapped greatness and left no ransom I'm the grandson of Muhammad I leave for Damn. more hands Callaway without dancing, call me Eve. Before I show my fruit, let me get at him. Picking up the pieces in the world that's falling. Imprisoned by ignorance, I'm begging your pardon. I'm charming. I am George Washington carving in the garden with some self food but some prefer starving. LP is sold out. Y'all missing the bargain, The industry is Walmart. They missing the Target. Suited for success, bow ties and top hats. If greatness had a score, this is the soundtrack.
0: What's making records look like for you? What's your process? For me, especially the last album, the narrative volume one and volume two, every single song on that album pretty much was created from zero. Me and a guy sat down or me and two people sat down and we said, how can we make a song that fits this concept? If, mm-hmm. we're, if I'm talking about politics, this is the mood we want, mm-hmm. right? And the guys, I work with are musicians, so he'll say, what about this chord? And they'll play something. And I'm like, yeah, that's perfect.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And like, what, what kind of drum rhythm do you want? He's um, like, all right, uh, here's a, a break beat that I think will go great with this song. And it matches this chord. And it's like, all right, let's go. Let's do it. And Usually I just use the keys and I just need keys and drum pattern. Mm-hmm. And then I go right. Mm-hmm. And then once I write, we come back in and we add other stuff to it. So we call in a bass player. We call in some horn players. And then mm-hmm. we add from there. I usually like to get started on a song as soon as possible so mm-hmm. we don't wait too long and linger because I don't want to lose the moment.
2: There's a power. Limb. He seems to have the whole morning out right in front of him. And everything he sings, from the branch that he's sitting on, it seems to hustle leaves and the colors all around. Now, first he sings, and then he goes. And what it means, it's hard to know.
1: Harbor Media, you're listening to Cultivated, conversations about faith and work. Today, my guest is rapper and activist, Sho Baraka. We talk about his story, about becoming a Christian, finding himself part of the 116 click with Lecrae, Trip Lee, and others, about making records, and about getting your records pulled from Christian bookstores. All that and much more. Stay with
2: us.
0: Canada, Calgary, Alberta. My yeah. father played football in the CFL. Hmm. So he played for the Calgary Stampede. And so I spent three years, I think, in Canada because he got picked up by the New Orleans Saints. Hmm. So we lived in New Orleans for some years. Was he an American citizen, I guess? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep.
1: So you're not uh, Canadian.
0: I have dual citizenship. Lived in New Orleans. And then when my mom and father divorced, moved to California. And... Spent most of my life in California, graduated high school, went to school to ski initially, then transferred to University of North Texas, got married while I was in Texas mm. to a wonderful woman named Patrice Lewis. <laughs> we have three children and we end up moving to Atlanta, Georgia, where I reside right now.
1: In college years, those were kind of the start of the
0: 116? Yeah, well, probably two years before I met those guys, I became a Christian through a lot of conversations with my brother. My mm. parents would make me spend a summer with my brother, who was a Christian, and I used to hate it. <laughs> and I'd be like, this dude's going to have me in Bible studies. <laughs> <where> was he? <laughs> he was in Texas at the time. So I was, okay. in, I was in Tuskegee, and they were like, you can't come home. Mm. You either got to get a job or stay with your brother. And, I was, and my brother's the Heidi Lewis. He's a pastor of the church I go to now. And I was just like, oh, gosh, I'm not going to be able to do anything I really want to do. Mm. After two years of spending summers with him and Christmas breaks with him or whatnot, I went back my sophomore year feeling a little more inquisitive about faith and about, you know, who this Jesus was. And so I started going to a Bible study because my brother was like, just do me a favor. Please just go to a Bible study. I'm not asking you to read your Bible every day. I'm just asking you to just go to a Bible study, get involved with some ministry at your campus. And I was like, all right. So I started getting involved with campus outreach Mm. and... Man, that was a bad decision because immediately they drew me in. (laughs) And I ended up going to a conference called Impact in Atlanta. And the first day at this conference, a mentor and a good friend of mine today, his name is James White, pastor in North Carolina, preached a sermon about divine distinction. And I still remember it. And that day I remember being like, wow. Like I've never heard the gospel articulated in a way Mm. that made me complicit and putting Jesus on the cross. Like, I'm responsible for this? <laughs> I'm
2: like, it's my body to that?
0: <laughs> like, before, I thought he was just a good guy. He was just, like, doing some stuff to, like, cause chaos in a Roman Empire. So was, You know, they were like, we're mad at you, Jesus, so we got to right. kill you. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Like, no, but you're saying that in my... That day, I just remember getting up off my knees, crying for, like, an hour, <laughs> going to my brother, who was at the conference as well, and being like, yo, man, I think I'm a Christian. I don't know. What am I supposed to do now? <laughs> so, <laughs> And we just, you know, hung out for the rest of the conference and it was just world changing for me. And so I went back to campus and me and my friends' relationships changed. I ended up having to break up with a girl I lived with and got deeply involved with the Christian community at Tuskegee. Mm. But eventually I had to transfer and I went to school where my brother was and he had recently graduated and was leading a ministry there. And that's where I met. The 116, and we kind of created the 116 like a year or two after that. So was it intentionally to go be closer to your brother that you showed up there? Well, yeah, it was at that point in time. So it may have been a year and a half to two years of me being a Christian, and I knew I wanted to be around Christians. I thought about transferring to a school close to Skegee so that I can still stay in that community. Mm -hmm. But then I was like, man, my brother is in Texas. He has a strong community, and, you know, I would go back to Summers. And and I was like, I need to—I just move with him and, like, just— be amongst a healthy community of young Christians who are evangelizing, discipling, and making Jesus known. So that was the easy decision.
1: Show was one of the founding members of the 116 Click. It's a Christian hip hop collective, and the members include Lecrae, KB, Tripley, Tadashi, Andy Mineo, and more.
0: So I actually, Lecrae was actually at that same conference mm. that I was speaking, and he got saved the same night. It's crazy. But when I moved to Texas, he was actually at another school. So he went to school there, but then transferred to school in Tennessee. But then a year after I moved, he came back. Okay. You guys the same age? Yeah. And So him and I, and then Tadashi was a friend of an individual who was a part of the ministry. So he would come and visit often. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we just found, like, commonality in loving hip-hop and loving mm-hmm. the cross movement, who was a rap group that was uh, really huge in the Christian circle. Mm. And we would just recite lyrics all the time. Then we were thinking, like, yo, we should rap. We should just represent Jesus on the campus Man, wear the, you know. But stay authentic, though. You know what I'm saying? We're going to wear the, our hip-hop clothes, but we going to write Jesus on them. We're going to run around. We're going to rap Jesus.
2: we going to be unashamed. And they just,
0: oh, unashamed of the gospel. And then it just kind of, like, it just turned into this thing on campus where we would go to different events and rap and represent the Lord sometimes mm. in a terrible way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I apologize for all those people who are the University of North Texas.
1: In a, in a terrible way, artistically or in a terrible way? No, I don't way. think
0: necessarily artistically. I yeah. think we, I will say, I think we've always been pretty good. Yeah. Uh, not great, but I don't. we were never bad. Like yeah, we were yeah. never bad. Like people always So in always a terrible way, me. how? Like, the obnoxiousness in which we shared our faith. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, the way we would airbrush and, like, the clothes that we would wear. Oh like, goodness. these tall—this back in the day when tall tees. I don't know if your tall tees were in yeah. style. So you would wear these T-shirts that came to your knee. And we would have, like, Jesus paraphernalia all over our shirts. Oh and we were, like, hostile with the gospel. It was, like, Jehovah Witness hostile. Like, oh we was running up on people, like, yo, you know Jesus? <laughs> like, like, nah, I ain't trying to hear that. I just want to know if you know Jesus, though. It was very. It was pretty obnoxious. People weren't giving classes on how to be mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> the, the the intersectionality of Christian Christianity and hip hop. Like there wasn't that yeah. wasn't out there. This is like you know, and even today, like, there's still a new conversation. People are still debating on like the utility of hip hop yeah. within Christian space, right? Yeah. And so we were navigating this kind of like on our own. But watching groups like the Cross Movement from afar, Mm -hmm. but then realizing, like, we're not quite them, because those are guys who are, like, seminary students. Mm -hmm. We're, like, just kind of regular dudes trying to figure out how to be creative and love Jesus. Mm -hmm. But then... Hip-hop culture was your native language. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we all loved it. We all came from it. We were all struggling not to listen to the the worldly music at the time. But, you know... I will say that we battled with legalism in some forms and fashion, but at the end of the day, I think we hit a stride that was pretty healthy for a long period of time. Yeah, I was angry, I was bitter I was filled with pride I was
2: selfish, I was foolish to believe those lies I love hate, love me, love rage, love greed I didn't love God, I just loved his things Love approval, love sex, love money, love fame But I ain't the same, thank the Lord I changed I'm trying to fight idolatry and lust Being good ain't enough, so in God I trust I got faith, yeah, okay Seeking restitution for all my mistakes
1: Where's the aspiration, you know because there's like, okay, we're doing hip-hop. We're we're doing these things as college students. Where does the sense of like, no,
0: we really want to do this thing with my life. When does that come? Yeah, that's Lecrae. He was, uh, I think he's always been determined to kind of be a, an artist. Like, even when we were still like in our second or third year in school, he was making albums, trying to pass off his terrible demos and stuff like that. <laughs> and... Uh, he was like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm legitimately wanting to like try to make a label and create a space for us and all my friends who want to be artists because that's what, honestly, like the cross movement was doing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He would go to this juvenile detention center and like perform and speak along with another brother named BJ. And what would happen is, is these kids would leave mm-hmm. and they wouldn't have anything, like any resources, right? And we would think, like, man, what can we give these kids? Like when they leave this facility and they need, they want like the stuff that we're talking about, but we don't have it. So he would begin to press up CDs for him and give it to him. Mm. And they found like this was somewhat of a healthy resource for him. So another gentleman named Ben Washer, who was in our circle going to the church would volunteer, not only at that facility, but he would volunteer at a camp called KAA. And he was like, Hey man, how about you come up to KA and perform mm. and we'll, you know, sell our CDs to these kids and it just caught like wildfire, and it began to be like, "Hey, come to this church in Indiana. Hey, come to this church in East Texas. Mm-hmm. Hey, come to this church in Kansas." And this was all of you guys traveling together? No, this was just pretty much just Lecrae. Premier Lecrae. Yeah, and he because I was I was still focused. So during this time, though, I liked rapping. Rapping wasn't the career path for me. I was mm-hmm. st- I was studying television and film and and anthropology, and I wanted to just to be like the next Spike Lee. <laughs> that mm-hmm. was my yeah. that was my goal. Like I was yeah. like I want to be Spike Lee meets kind of like John Singleton, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so he was serious. He was tenacious about achieving this particular career path. And so as people began to request him and he started to travel more, he and his gentleman, Ben Washer was like, hey, how about we start a label? And they started a label called it Reach Records. And from there, people like Tadashi Mm -hmm. was like, I'm about to get serious. And so he started making music. And then we made this thing called the One One Six compilation, and mm-hmm. I featured two songs on there. And then we had this little dude named Trip Lee, who was sixteen <laughs> years old. Oh my gosh! <laughs> at the time, he did like a verse on the album. And from there, it just kind of started so how does to how he get tied in with you guys? I mean, so we were at a concert in Dallas, and the Truth was performing, and uh-huh. we all loved the Truth. The Truth is an artist that was associated with the Cross Movement, and we were just there opening up for him. Mm-hmm. We were hanging out backstage, and in comes Kirk Franklin. And oh. Franklin walks in, and there's, like, these two little kids with him. One of them is his son, and the other dude is Triple E. Oh, wow. And he's like, yeah, man, I like what y'all do, man.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, man, yeah, they forgot. It's pretty dope. So, I was like, why is your voice so deep for sixty years? <laughs> <laughs> but he... He gets connected with us at this concert. And so him and Lecrae start to really build and mm-hmm. develop a really close relationship. And he just starts coming to the studio and hanging out with us. And Lecrae starts giving him opportunities to travel and rap or whatever. And then eventually mm-hmm. he comes along and joins the label. And then maybe four years later or three years later, once I graduate college
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I'm doing film and I'm being asked to travel with them to do like 116 stuff. Mm-hmm. When you say one one six stuff, like that's not the record label. One one six is more. It's the click. So, it, so when we did the compilation, it was called the one one six compilation. Yeah. And so I had two songs on there. Yeah. Other artists had songs, and so people who were really, really huge fans of the one one six compilation would bring all of us out. Yeah. And I began to get more involved in traveling with them. Yeah.
1: It was kind of a banner under which you guys were like, right. So it started off.
0: We're... It started off. Uh, Deuce Ambassador was a. Um, a member of the cross movement, mm-hmm. signed one of Lecrae's shirts or something. And he said, and, he, and when he signed his name, he signed Romans 116. And so he mm-hmm. went back, he read it and he was like, I am unashamed of the gospel. He's like, yo, we unashamed. And him and another dude, BJ were like, let's call our little group on campus, 116 clip. Cause mm-hmm. we unashamed of the gospel. We loud. We out here giving gospel to these people. And so, from there, it wasn't just rappers. It was people who were just unashamed of the gospel. It was mainly a bunch of college age mm-hmm. individuals who were just unashamed to be loud and rambunctious for the Lord. Mm-hmm. And from there, it became more of a musically-focused kind of a group mm-hmm. and collective. And so the more I was kind of, like, involved and thrusted into this collective nationally, people would be like, yo, do an album, do an album, do an album. And I always kind of wrestled with that idea of doing music in a Christian context because I just knew the kind of person I was. Mm. And so eventually I was like, yeah, man, why not? You know, it's, it's an opportunity that I'm probably never going to get you know, mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. I did it and my first album was in 2007. I think the click started in like 2003, 2004 is mm-hmm. when Lecrae dropped his first album, Real Talk. So I released my album in 2007 called uh, Turn My Life Up. And from there, it was just kind of like we all just began to start traveling and mm-hmm. touring together and it's just and the Lord just starts opening amazing doors.
2: Yeah, perfect in all his ways. You come broken, he'll fix you today. He'll fix you. The peace in the midst of the storm. You are going crazy, he'll give you a calm The man who knows the gain is lost. But man will say that that is totally false. False, false like the way we merchandise is act on the cross. The man waters it down and exploits it for cost. Yeah, sovereign and majestic king Ask Kirk, he's the reason why I sing. sing He who makes Pharaoh a mighty man Then humbles him just to show that he can A loving father who extends love To a man who just mutilated and killed his son Forgiver, protector, light, mighty Way, truth, light. Mm, sweet like cinnamon, something like a lifeguard he is love, he's, he's not, not like us. Who is like us? Who can
0: we trust? Who is my God? No one.
1: At what point did you sort of turn away from film? Like what was the what was the catalyst I, for that?
0: It, I never really turned away from it, because eventually what would happen was I would I would begin to do videos for the label. If I wasn't directing or producing mm-hmm. something, it was like I was helping writing or mm-hmm. I was acting in the videos or consulting in some sense. But then eventually. I ended up starting my own film company and kind of like just serving other artists and Christian spaces. Just, then they went from there to corporate. But eventually I knew that I was like, I can't be this academic or I can't be this social thought leader, an artist and run a video company. So I ended up like dissolving the video company and just being kind of like a creative director and consultant. Yeah. Yeah.
1: First album drops in 07. It was was strange, man. It was just
0: like, I remember walking into like a family Christian and just being like, I was going to say life weight, but I didn't want to give him any love. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> I, was gonna, I walked into like a family Christian. I saw my album on the shelf and I was like, oh my gosh, mm. this is ridiculous. <laughs> and so I took a picture and I was like,
2: oh my gosh, this is crazy.
0: Like, I think the first, your first album, you're just like, just happy that, some, that if somebody's willing to listen to you. Mm-hmm. You're like, I got an album. And so you go and you perform. You're just like,
2: I'm so excited. I'm just yeah. giddy. I'm just, yeah.
0: and so. It was just the humility and just the honor of just uh, just, just being flattered that people were a- actually checking for you. And so I was just happy just to serve, and I would go rap for anybody, anywhere. Mm. So first record, 07, next record comes? 2010, which, mm-hmm. well, I actually did a mixtape in 2009, I think it was, called mm-hmm. Barackology. There was a contingency of people who loved Turn My Life Up, and it kind of made me. Another thing is, like, I was distinctly different from most of the other reach record artists they were all from the south i was from the west mm-hmm. they all kind of had this southern style to them i had more of a midwest soul feel mm-hmm. yeah you know? and so I, I was different from them and people acknowledged that though that was kind of like well the thing that made them who they are i didn't necessarily fit that because they were like turn up crunk music that's what it was called <laughs> back then i was mm-hmm. your more boom bap you know sample soul music mm-hmm. some people felt it like so a lot of people yeah. felt it but I also started to get people and other circles who were like, "Yo, I'm kind of digging your style." But in two thousand nine, so it was a
1: little I, bit of an odd fit for the label. With well, the other I wouldn't say it was necessarily
0: an odd fit for them, mm-hmm. but it was musically different mm-hmm. than the rest of them. Though we all had great chemistry together, it, it was yeah. it was obvious that my style was a lot was was somewhat different from the rest. But in two thousand nine, I did a mixtape that I felt showcased a lot of my personality. Mm. Because before I felt like I was confined to this idea of how Christian hip-hop artists should act and behave and what they yeah. should talk about. And my album was very serious. And, mm. you know. I mean. But then in 2008, I did a mixtape called Barackology, Why So Serious? Mm. And I was just clowning. And I was just saying ridiculous stuff. And that really, I think, helped people to fall in love with me. Like, yo, you?
2: Mm -hmm. You got a lot of personality
0: (laughs) to you, right? And I think that liberated me in some ways to kind of be and to develop into a person that I felt like I was and who I wanted to showcase to the world. And so then in 2010, I came out with my second album, Lions and Liars. That was probably my biggest commercial album because... Mm -hmm.
1: That was the first one I heard.
0: Okay, so like after your first album, you're just like, I'm just happy people are willing to listen to me. Yeah, Your second album, there's a little pressure because you're like, okay, I got some attention. I guess I got to maintain this attention. Yeah. And so you begin to put a little pressure on yourself mm-hmm. because there's an expectation there and you want to not only make good art and stay true to yourself, but you feel like the pressure of appeasing the fan base. Yeah. And that's not necessarily a good thing. Sure. But... That's what happens to artists, and that's why a lot of the you know artists' second albums are yeah. not good. Sophomore slump. Exactly. For some artists, probably not in the Christian hip hop circle, but for a lot of artists, your tax bracket changes, yeah. and so your issues be your problems become different. So right. the things that you were rapping about on your first album are no longer <laughs> you, and you begin to like force the narrative, you begin to force the content in a way that was authentic before and you begin to polish, become more polished and the things yeah. that people appreciated about you before is like, and so a lot of my album was more poppy. Mm. There's a lot more polished. Mm. So you don't feel like that album reflects you as much as... No, so. I, don't, yeah. I don't. I don't. I'm proud of everything on that album. Sure. But I feel like there are a good five songs that I would probably never, mm. like, I'm like, eh, I like <laughs> But I will say I'm proud yeah. of what I did. I will say the last two albums are more of who I am.
2: Get your, get your This is counterculture rabbit. Falsito smashing. Tap a friend, ask him, is this lion attacking? We're ready for action. Break the cage we were trapped in. Might wanna watch out, my dude. Get your ass up! Let me tell you about some lions who's running the streets. Pam's a podiatrist, yeah, she has beautiful feet. Raheem is a boxer, he's beating the best. But the hardest fight is when he's daily fighting his flesh. Marco is a trainer, he's training Raheem. He's teaching him to be a man in and out of the ring. Joy is a young sister, single by title. She's on a ball at like Abdul. She's left American Idol. Yeah, I know a doctor. His name is Jason. He prays that the Lord keeps working on his patience. Yeah, yeah, saints up in the house. If you rep in the jungle, give a big lion shout. Uh.
1: You want to give me the nickel version of Why You Left Reach?
0: I will give you the nickel version. Okay, so there was a time period where I would say we all started doing Christian hip-hop because of... As I told you, we were on the campus and yeah. we felt like there were types of people who reflected us that we were like, man, we want to reach these individuals. Mm-hmm. I began to feel like, the more popular that our label and our movement became, we began to get pulled away from that demographic of people that we were trying to reach. Yeah, And I felt like our music began to reflect that, hence why I felt like my album was very polished. Mm-hmm. And I think all the other artists would kind of communicate the same thing. It's like, once you become darlings within Christian music market, mm-hmm. and there's an expectation for your music to make it in these festivals yeah. and these radio yeah. stations then you begin to consciously think about that stuff. Like, man, I need a song that The Fish is going to (laughs) play. You know what I'm saying? I need a song that... Suburban white people will get. Yeah, I've tried not to say it, but go ahead. I'll say it. I'll say it. And so I began began to placate to that particular audience, and I just wasn't satisfied with that, because I felt like even though Lines of Liars was somewhat polished, there were songs on that album that were mature. I was talking about marriage. I was talking about me struggling with my identity as a black man on that album. And I just felt like... I can't perform some of these songs in the circles. And I was like, this is just like, nobody understands. Yeah. I'm talking about being married and I'm either eighth graders in front of me. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like oh, gosh, there'll be times when I was asked not to perform certain songs. And mm. I felt like that was probably one of the safest albums I've ever made. Yeah, And so I decided, I was like, man, I need to, I need to, I need to do something different Mm -hmm. because I also was wrestling with the tension of dealing with, I wanted to overtly talk about racism. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about injustice. One of the things I didn't say is growing up, my mom was a part of the Black Panther Party. I grew up in a house that was very aware of what it was like to be African-American in America. I lived outside Los Angeles during the OJ Simpson trial and the Rodney King beating. So all that was in our house. I remember when OJ Simpson was uh, acquitted. I remember running down the school hallway yelling, Yes. And mm. to this day, I don't understand why I did that. True. I know I did it because my family was excited. And so I felt mm. like I should be excited. Now I look back and I'm watching those yeah. <laughs> OJ stories and I'm like, What the? What was I thinking?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Yeah, we got
0: him back. Finally, you know. Yeah. So, anyway. So that was my, that was my, my friend. That was the, the world in which I existed. And so I've always been somewhat conscious of what is it like to be a black man in this country. And I wanted to begin to talk about that Mm. without feeling like I was handicapped. And I'm not necessarily saying that the label handicapped me, but I felt like there were, you know, circumstances surrounding the label and people within the label that I just felt like I was conflicting with Mm. in order to communicate this particular message. And so I, we both decided it was probably best for me to Do my own thing. And so I made an album in 2013. So that happened in 2011, 2012. 2013, I released an album called Talent at 10th. And that album was just me, my own resources, most of my own energy. But I began to employ those producers I was talking about. Mm -hmm. And that's where I felt like I began to reestablish my voice that I had back in early college Mm -hmm. and as a child, but to saturate it with the gospel. Mm -hmm. And, um, People didn't really like that. <laughs> mm, mm. I got a lot of backlash for mm. some of the, the content on the album and kind of felt ostracized, not only just from white evangelicals, but from black folks as well. Mm. And artists, other artists who I didn't feel had my back because they felt like their career was more important than solidarity with me. And so mm. So uh, like what I went through a, a what kind pre- backlash? Break. What was Oh, I mean, I one of the most, I guess you could say vocal. I was performing at a seminary. And the seminary was told that if they allow me to perform, that there will be certain people who would no longer bring their youth groups and, you know, uh, parishioners to this Mm. particular, any events that this seminary put on anymore. Yeah, because of the content of that record. Because of the content of that record. But the president of the university or the seminary was like, well, I support him Mm. and we have his back. So... You're just gonna have to make a decision that you feel is right for you and your church or your, your organization. And I respect and love this brother to this day for this. So stuff like that. A lot of my concerts began to get like you know dried up. People would write reviews about my, about me being a black nationalist. Uh, it, it's all kind of stuff. It was pretty interesting. Uh, I had people who said my marriage was terrible because of the music. <laughs> it was like just stuff that they would have no idea. Like how was my marriage terrible because of? I guess I wrote <laughs> so. They just took things literal in my album, but. Mm. I don't know. So it was just, it was a lot of chastising. And my problem was, is I was so frustrated with the Christian culture that was surrounding me that I spent too much time arguing and lashing out at people who were attacking me. Mm. And I could have handled it much better. Mm. I could have handled it with more wisdom and more charity.
1: Lashing out, was that like an an online thing? Yeah, it was just Social media? Facebook Facebook
0: is where all good thoughts come together and live, so... (laughs) So that was pretty much my home for about a good two months. It was a healthy, unhealthy habits. And I end up just kind of going into a depression where I just like, I'm done with this. I don't even know if I love these people anymore. Like Mm. Christianity may not even be for me. And so I found myself in a pretty interesting place for a while. Mm. And financially, I wasn't healthy as well because the things that were sustaining me, obviously I'm not getting these opportunities anymore. So I had to start looking for jobs and Mm. it was pretty interesting. It was a pretty rough time in my life. Mm. How do you feel like the Lord, like, met you in the midst of that? You know, the one thing that I always had was a local church that affirmed me, loved me, and supported me, not only emotionally. And you were in, back in Atlanta by that time? Mm-hmm. So we were in at uh, my church, Blueprint Church. My brother is the pastor. So I was constantly loved. Financially, they helped me. They tried to get me jobs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, a, it was a time for about a good two years where it was rough. So it was that. And I also began to explore, like, different <laughs> Sex of Christianity, I guess you can say. Mm -hmm. And so I started to read more Eastern Orthodox and read more church history coming from the East. And that kind of gave me a little hope that though all cultures express their faith through a bias, it helped me to to see that everything didn't start like from Western European kind of thought. And so I began to see that the Lord had voices in other areas and there was no need for me to... And then I just learned how to love and forgive too. Mm. And I also learned how to ask for forgiveness and to realize that it's not just about me. Like this is like, you're not that important show. (laughs) 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 Like get over yourself. You're not that important. So while I was trying to and this is what led to the last album, uh, as I was trying to learn a new narrative and to understand the contribution of people of color or to understand the plight of people of color. Because also what I, a big part of what I left out of why I was frustrated is because during the process of making that album, being from California, in California, Oscar Grant is murdered in Northern California by a police officer. You have Trayvon Martin, who's murdered by a police officer. You have Rakia Boyd, who's murders by a police officer in Chicago. And there were a number of other deaths that really infuriated me and led me to write an album like this that dealt more with social justice. And so that's kind of what led to a lot of the backlash as well. And so from there, the Lord taught me how to forgive and to get over myself and to realize what is a gospel that can't forgive? If it's the gospel, then he will allow me to see no boundary that is too big for him to cross. When you hit a rough patch like
1: that, I imagine some of the temptation is to go, okay, I'm done with music. I'm going to go do something else. Yeah. You know,
0: what What I tried. You? Did you? I tried. I tried to, I put my resume into different nonprofits, mm. Christian and non-Christian nonprofits, specifically working in areas of like public administration, civil rights, justice, et cetera, et cetera. There was some promise for a lot of them, working with leadership organizations, developing leadership programs couple of them going through the interview process for months. Some of it just became so exhausting. I was just like, yeah, this is ridiculous. But the good thing would be is like there will always be those moments where the Lord would provide something, mm. right? Like so I'll be in these interview processes thinking like, man, I'm going to be broke next month. I don't even know how I'm going to <laughs> take care of these bills and then the lawyer would provide a concert or he would provide yeah. a speaking opportunity or mm-hmm. somebody would say hey I, I need you to you know consult on this for me and you were married had kids by then yeah my yeah. kids were adults by then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. but I know I have a right now she's 12 I have an 11 year old and a 5 year old so this is like <laughs> so not quite right, <laughs> no nah, this is like right when my third child was being born wow. and my wife was just stressed it was just like I can't believe we're doing this right now and <laughs> you're struggling we're, well, we're struggling as a family and we trusted the lord but the funny thing is this though that was probably the most fruitful time in our marriage Mm. because it made us fall before the lord and trust in him in every way possible and i believe that's the reason why i think my marriage is healthy now is because at those moments we had to trust each other love each other and trust in the lord together and it grew us tighter i thank the lord for those times because i grew a lot as an individual as a man but also as a believer, like it just mm-hmm. it really stretched me and made me realize the need of the presence of the Lord and the presence of community and the church family. What if we took what James did on If It Wasn't For Love and we just flipped it? Like, hey!
2: Let's go. You more precious than a diamond, girl. I see you shine. Cure, girl, I know you my, you ain't Oakland girl, but I call you my babe. when silence is violent, you know what to say, I'm I and you, I mean, you and I, I know it's hard to stay grounded when you know you fly, we can take this to the floor and we can groove, I ain't got nothing to prove, I'll just leave that up to you, I translate your body language every time you move, even in a crowded room, it's just me. Build a future, build dreams, build children. Man, forget these other women. You're number one in the world.
0: you come back to music? Yeah, I will say I legitimately stepped away from it for a couple months, like maybe a half a year, where I just was like, I'm done. I'm like, I'm retired. I really don't remember what got me back into it. All I can remember is me and a brother, Jamie Porty, began to just make music. We decided that we were going to do something that was like a collaborative effort. Um, no, actually what it was, it was four of us. We were going to create a band called Hello Revolution. That name was taken so we got hit with a cease and desist. (laughs) And so two of the members ended up being like dropping out because it's just life. They were like, "Yeah, we can't do this." Yeah. So it just ended up being me and my brother Jamie. We were going to start a group called Louis Portier, and we were just making music. Like we were just excited about it. It wasn't going to be like Christian music. It was just going to be dope music. But you're going to hear my heart. I was the main communicator. Mm-hmm. He's a producer, musician. And we we're going to have a band and whatnot. And we just worked on music starting in like 2014. And around 2015, I started picking up a lot more opportunities and whatnot. And so things became a lot more healthy for me. And then in 2016 is when the Humble Beast thing came around. And what eventually happened is the stuff that was started off as Louis Portier just became the narrative. I added, you know, about five more songs, took a couple songs off and end up just making an album that I was extremely proud about because I felt like the talented 10th album was me Finally becoming my own voice Mm -hmm. and being able to espouse the things that I held dearly to my heart. But I felt like the narrative was that, but finally I had the team around me to accomplish it and to do it in excellence.
1: That came out last
0: year. And that came out uh, October, 2016. And we just released a volume two, which is a four-song EP with two remixes last month. I think it was, and that one came with no controversy at all. Talk about the narrative.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm shocked. I was uh,
0: shocked that it was zero
1: controversy. Right, right. Well, let's talk about the controversy. Yeah, in February of 2017, Lifeway Christian Bookstores announced that they were pulling the record from their shelves.
0: How did you find out about Lifeway pulling? They sent us an email. I remember uh, I got a text from Thomas Terry, who's the Humble Beast artist, but also the president of Humble Beast. And he um, sent me a text, like, hey, Lifeway's pulling all our CDs. Mm. And I was like, ha, 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 ha. Yeah. I was like, nah, for real. All of Humble Beast or all of... No, just, just you. Yeah, pulling on the narratives. Yeah. And I was like, nah, for real. Like, tell me the truth. Are you playing right now? Yeah. And he was like, no, nah, I'm serious. But what's interesting is, Talon the Tenth almost got pulled, too. Mm. So I think it was Family Christian, though. Family Christian contacted me and was... Well, I went through a distributor, Central South. Mm-hmm. Central South contacted me and said, hey, Family Christian is thinking about removing your CDs from the shelves because you curse on the album. And I was like, yes, but <laughs> I don't curse on the albums they sell.
1: Because
0: <laughs> the physical copies were the edited versions. Yeah. And the uh, the digital version, the online versions were the versions of which I use strong language on the song Jim Crow. And so... This was like the second time this has happened. So I was kind of like, I'm not shocked. But I was sitting there thinking like, well, on the narrative, I mean, I say hell, say damn. And I was like, I say penis. I was like, what can it be? What could it be? Right. And it happened to be penis. Yeah. Penis was the one. It was, penis, the, the, one. <laughs> it was the one that got it. <laughs> it was the straw that broke the camel's back. So how do
1: you, how do you interpret that? You could walk through the sex section of a Christian bookstore and find the word penis thousands of times. It's unreal. I mean, you could probably find like books in the young adult section about sex and lust where the word's used in a similar kind of context.
0: So how do you interpret it? I interpret it as some mother probably purchased the album without Mm. castigating it and they were listening to it and probably heard, what? Yeah. And they uh, overreacted. They didn't listen to the context of the song. They didn't listen mm-hmm. to Well, they probably heard it, but they didn't care about the context. Yeah. But they also probably heard other content on the album and felt like this is not the kind of music that I want my child to listen to. Now, uh-huh. when I say other content, it's probably content that challenges white supremacist thought mm-hmm. and talks about racism and kind of like blind nationalism and stuff of that nature. And they were probably thinking like, well, there's other content on this album that I don't like, but he also said penis. so Right. That's my reasoning or that, because I can't see any other, like, I can't see just the word penis itself, especially in the context of which I used it. Because right. if you sit down and you ask that woman or male who complained about that particular lyric, they would agree with me mm-hmm. on the sexual ethic. Mm-hmm. They would say, yes, I agree that individuals shouldn't think with their penis. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think you should put it in a rap song, I guess. One, two, three. Are we sinners in the hands of an angry God? Or is God being judged by a sin in mob? God ain't good, I must have missed something. God ain't good, I must have missed something. He been good to me. You been good to me. Are we made in the image of God? Or is it God that's mimicking us? If I'm
2: what's good, I must have missed something. If I'm what's good, I must have missed something. scared of the Holy Ghost. Now I'm just scared of them holy folks.
0: Should we disagree with God or should we change him? If I'm made in his image, then why do we feel like strangers? Is he a battery that's charged by my faith? Who's at fault when I race, but then I fall on my face? It's God to blame for our intentions? Like scientists didn't bless the world with eugenics. Like media ain't teaching a new religion. Every time I watch the news, I'm getting a baptism. Should I prophesy or should I proselytize? Is it culture, engagement, or compromise? When I keep the doors closed, I'm getting ostracized. But when I open up the doors, I'm getting colonized. Everything is straight when you have no moral compass. Everything is new when you think it like Christopher Columbus. Is everything just a social construct? Wow. Who's allowed to judge our moral conduct? Man. I was an insecure boy who just thought he was a genius, but I was pissed off. That's because I thought with my penis. It's all strategic, I'm just asking, us the reason Share my faith on the track, I'm just exercising demons yeah. yeah, never told a lie Uh-uh, never told a lie
1: How do you feel about the situation now? Like with the future, future records? Does that make you want oh, no, really, I to... I,
0: honestly, I, and I, I'm not just saying this, I didn't care no. I did not care at all I had nothing to do with the Washington Post interview. Somebody caught wind of it. They reached out to me and I wasn't going to say no. I was just like, yeah, I'll talk about it. And so I spoke about it and that just kind of took it to a whole nother level to Mm -hmm. where I got phone calls from people within Lifeway who were like, I'm sorry this happened to you. Mm -hmm. Different departments of Lifeway were like, I'm sorry this happened to you. I'm mad. I'm frustrated myself actually spoke with the people who made the decision at Lifeway and we had some interesting conversations about why it was removed and what we could do to reconcile this issue. You know, honestly, I, afterwards I was just like, okay. Yeah. I don't know why my album was there in the first place, but really? Yeah. Cause I, one, Humble beast never puts, has, it's never had any of their albums in Lifeway. Mm. So that's one. Two, it's pretty obvious now since my talent tenth release that even though I, I, I don't want to, create a construct of who like a monolith of who my listening base is but i'm pretty sure that the the majority of my listening base is not going to life to by my album. Yeah. I just feel like I was disappointed when Thomas sent me the text but yeah. literally like the next day I was like, "Hmm, it's coming kind of, you know. Right. I was <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> okay, "Okay." Well, it's, it's but I actually appreciate it because it it created a conversation and gave me more exposure. Yeah. Like I have so many people who like so I did a tour of me, like in March, April, and May. I have so many people who came to my shows who were like, bro, I never heard of you until the LifeWay decision. I'm so glad that happened because I'm a fan for life now. Like the old quote, I can't remember who said it, but they said, you
1: can say whatever you want to say about me in the press so long as you spell my name right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there you go. There you go. That sounds about right.
1: Show also made the press in 2016 as an outspoken and fierce critic of Donald Trump and of white evangelical support for him.
0: I used to have a podcast that we would record pretty regularly and we would talk about a lot of things during Barack Obama's presidency. yeah, And there would be times where I was very critical about some of the policies that Barack Obama were pushing through. But I feel like because of the polarization of the elections, yeah. starting with the uh, primaries to the head-to-head with Clinton, it was such a polarizing moment that I think there was a lot of people in Christendom who were looking for voices to make reason of what's happening, especially urban Christians, or even I'll say Christians who knew for the first time that they had before them a candidate in a party that would espouse great religious principles, but they couldn't reconcile those principles to this particular candidate hmm. and so like if in order for them to to go all in with this individual, that in a way would create a suspicion that most people felt about them all along that it wasn't really your religious and moral values. Hmm that keeps you with this particular group. It's more your need to marginalize and exclude. I mean, to be frank, the racist rhetoric that's created. For me, I was really just writing to the people that I felt like were in my shoes. Mm. It's like, man, what do I do? Like, there are things about the left that I just can't support. And there are things about the right that I just can't support. So where am I? And so for me, I just was like, well, let me think out loud for a moment Mm. and just share my thoughts of where I think Christians who are conscious of justice but also hold tightly to biblical values. Here's some things that we can just consider. Yeah. I'm not saying this is exactly this is the this is the 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 Bible, but I'm saying I think that I've wrestled with these issues before God and I would like to think that I thought deeply about this and I would like to share these views before other people and let me know what you think. And I've got some great responses. I got some people who hated me, sure. I got people who everything. I've gotten a little bit of everything. I'm sure you have so yeah. Show
1: like many Christians, found himself in a place without a political party. Modern politics forces Christians to prioritize one set of biblical values around pro-life and pro-family concerns, or another, around social justice and poverty. For that reason, he
0: founded The End Campaign. So The End Campaign was part of the reason why I felt the need to kind of step to the forefront. I felt like we needed to assert our voice in the public space because oftentimes we're given this false choice of Justice is dominated by the conversations on the left. Mm -hmm. But, you know, classic of family values is dominated by conversations on the right. We don't think those things are mutually exclusive. We believe Mm -hmm. that they're both and. Like as a Christian, Jesus holds highly obviously biblical truths where we can find that there's concern for the family and there's concern for justice. Mm -hmm. And so why can't we begin to bring people from all parties, people from all different spaces together and say... How do we begin to fight for biblical values in a way that shows compassion and conviction? And so that's what the Ant Campaign is. It's not a political party. We're not trying to create a political mm-hmm. party. But we are trying to do is create a community of people who feel like they want their voice being heard in the political space. Yeah. When you say family, what do you mean? You can't have a conversation about criminal justice reform yeah. and not talk about family, right? So if there are people who care about abortion... Well, I think you should also care about criminal justice, right? Mm-hmm. Because you want sanctity of life, right? So you want that baby to be born, yeah. but oftentimes we're not talking about a continuum of care. We're talking about take care of the baby, but then once it becomes an adult, then you know if that baby is shot down in the street by a police officer, well, you know, hey, he smoked weed, so yeah. he deserved it. I was like, huh. Then we should also care about. The criminal drug laws that are blocking families of fathers and mothers away for things that people in the suburbs are getting slaps on the wrist for. You know what I'm saying? And so that's an issue. But then also we talk about sexual ethics. We talk about family structure, how we feel like there's an attack on what we would call a classical view of family, mm-hmm. um, heterosexual relationships. That doesn't mean that we don't show compassion to people and see all people are made in the image of God. But that doesn't mean that we need to attack or deconstruct what the traditional family looks like. So it's all of those things. I think there's intersectionality with all these things. And I know that term is a very some people are like intersectionality as a very liberal social justice word. <laughs> right. But there is a there's an intersection of things. You can't just you can't just deal with abortion and not care about right. justice issues in these communities. Cause I feel like it's an egregious sin that I can find an unparalleled number of Planned Parenthoods and abortion clinics in African American communities. But at the same time, we know that police officers oftentimes make quotas or fill particular quotas because of the way they patrol Black communities as well. So we got to deal with education, we got to deal with economics. You, know, you can't just think that the only reason why Black communities are those ways is because women are having abortions. Sure. Right. So sure. there's a lot of issues. And I know I just, I simplified a very complex issue and I'm not saying like that's what people are saying, but I, what I'm saying is I think that as an campaign, what we're trying to do is say, let's dig into the nuance of these policies and these debates and see how much can we insert the scriptural, biblical narrative on these issues to bring a more, uh, I think, more authentic and truthful perspective. To the conversation. I also help run an organization called Terminus Collective that deals a lot with what this podcast is on. It's like the idea of uh, what does faith, culture, and work have to do with one another? How do people who don't vocationally work in a church? How do they equip? How do they see their job as worship and directly influencing cities and neighborhoods in which they live? Your job is important. And how you work at your job and how you do and how you do life. When I say vocation, I don't mean just nine to five. I mean like stay-at-home mothers. I mean people who have civic responsibilities and people who work in the marketplace. Your engagement in those things directly affect the flourishing of your city and your community. And so Determinist Collective is an organization that I help learn that that talks about those things. Where can people find that? DeterministCollective.org. Right. And the end campaign is theandcampaign.org as well. Awesome.
2: Now first he sings and then he goes. And what it means, it's hard to know.
1: You can find links to Show Baraka's website, the AND Campaign, and the Terminus Collective in our show notes. Our show is a production of Harbor Media and the Narrativo Group. Today's episode was produced by me. It was edited by TJ Hester. It was mixed by Mark Owens. Our music today was by Show Baraka, and our theme song is by Roman Candle. If you like what we're doing, help us spread the word. Share about us on social media, and leave us a review on the iTunes store. Every little bit helps, and every new audience member we can find makes it a little easier for us to keep making the show. All right, we'll see you back next week.